0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery.
1: Hello and welcome to The Offside Rule. It's me, Kate Borsay, back from a brief sojourn in France. Bonjour. And joining me this week, I've got not one, but two multi-talented reporter commentator extraordinaires they've been gassing away about the little foibles behind commentary and what they do for a living. Uh, first of all, a big hello to Vicky Sparks making her debut. Thanks for joining us. Bonjour, bonjour, oh, ça va? Oh, oui, oh my goodness, she's
2: outfrenching out <laughs> oh, me. Oh, okay,
1: fine. <laughs> I thought I had some serious competition there, Vicky. Uh, yeah. And it's a hat-trick of appearances this season for Robin
3: Cowan. Welcome back. I'm afraid Vicky's stolen both my French words. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that.
1: <laughs> well, you were both at the Women's World Cup in France and of course we regularly hear you on five Live on the BBC. You work for the Premier League as well, Vicky, and various other people. Uh, so it's great to have you and your expertise here. I've not been joined by two female commentators. You are a brilliant and
3: beautiful breed. <laughs> uh, Robin, last time we spoke, you were about to head off to Rome on your honeymoon. Yes, and it was very nice indeed. we took in a game as well. <laughs> Did you now? Uh, so we went to see Roma. We saw Chris Smalling's debut. Oh, lucky. They you. lost. Um, my husband Ian is a big Roma fan, and that was the day that Oxford United beat West Ham for nil so he missed that so I had to sort of talk him down after that evening so a Roma defeat and he missed out on a big Oxford United win so um, yeah it was a he, he wasn't best pleased. Did you go to Rome specifically because he's a Roma fan? Yeah and also we love Rome as well it was beautiful we've been there before he did classics at university. So this is
1: why he's a Rome fan it, because it yes. it's a bit of
3: a bit of an odd one. Slightly it? odd no he, he went there uh, on a school trip and <laughs> went to Roma on the school trip yeah. it was about god 10 Fifteen years ago, yeah. and it stuck with him. So he like, he always follows Roma, sees how they're doing, and it was it was great, great atmosphere. Very different to watching a UK game. I love the the gesticulation when the referee made a decision that they didn't like was beautiful. It was proper stereotypical <laughs> Italian, like, "Mamma mia!" Oh, <laughs> it was fantastic.
1: That. I love that. I'll tell you what. If only we went to Boulogne's football team or Calais' football team, perhaps we'd all be fans of different teams after school trips. <laughs> 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 well, I know you've both been busy and we're going to uh, tap into your nows and your expertise as your show goes on. Quick reminder that we're on Jack Radio Fridays from 7 o'clock. On this week's show we're going to extend a helping hand to a friend in need. That's right. The big bosses of VAR. We're going to solve it for you. Okay, Good. (laughs) Uh, As well as that we are officially launching a missing persons investigation to track down a certain lesser spotted Arsenal midfielder who's missed 101 games in North London. Is Gunners boss Unai Emery the Cruella to Ozil's Dalmatian. But first, let's start with VAR. We wish we could offer you a little bit of light relief from those three letters, but it's left us with no option. Oops, VAR is at it again. He is going
0: to VAR. VAR are having a look at this. And the goal has been disallowed. Well, hang on a minute. VAR are checking this. No need for VAR this side. VAR are obviously checking it and are happy. Still waiting for confirmation on that. And if the goal was given, is that a clear and obvious error to overturn it? VAR says, no The goal stands. No, it doesn't. Free kick. It is a goal. It's very unlikely that VAR are going to overrule the referee on that one. You do wonder what VAR is for, apart from... Side decisions.
1: Well, as you can see, there were plenty of incidents at the weekend to choose from. Uh, but what was your standout moment of VAR this weekend? A favourite, if that's the right word for it, or <laughs> might I be so bold, an example of VARs? Uh, Robin, you were at Spurs on Saturday to see plenty of drama. I was at
3: peak VARs on Saturday. <laughs> <love> Honestly, <laughs> the Spurs game against Watford. Watford, by the way, should have won that. Definitely should have won that. Mainly because they should have had a penalty. The referee, John Moss, waved away claims for a penalty. You know when you look at it and you think in your gut firsthand, there's not something right about that. There's something I think that could have been a penalty. Then we see on the replay, Jan Vertonghen tripped him two, three times. He had a go at him. And you just think, well, it's got to be overturned. But it wasn't. Not surprised because we haven't actually seen one overturned yet, have we? No. So that was ridiculous. And then... Deli Alley scored the equaliser, possible handball, sort of shoulder bicep. But apart from that, someone hit the wrong button on the VAR screen. <laughs> so the referee pointed to the centre circle to say goal given. It yeah. said Spurs won, Watford won. And then the VAR screen said decision, no goal. <laughs> Like so we were like, just, what? what on earth is going on? And that's on? a
1: commentator's nightmare because presumably you are live into final score, are you, at this point?
3: <laughs> yes. So they kept coming back to me. They said, has it been given? Is it not? And I was and you're like, like <laughs> oh, well, they kicked off. So, um, yeah, it's been given. <laughs> I thought Steve Wilson, who was on Match of the Day, dealt with it brilliantly, yeah, didn't he? Because he, he said, oh, it's a goal. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, yes, it is the screen's wrong, you couldn't make it up. No, exactly. That
2: and that's the story, isn't it? I mean, the story is the confusion as much as the actual decision that's been made. And so it's become a bit farcical hasn't it really?
1: Because we seem to be talking about referees' decisions and VAR's decisions more than ever before and surely the whole point of VAR was that we stopped speculating and give, giving uh, referees a hard time. Uh, Vicky you need to give us another. I gather there was uh, one in the game that you were covering as Yes well.
2: I was at Burnley against Leicester and the disallowed oh, this one, yes. goal. Now this Was for Chris Wood, a slight touch on Johnny Evans. Wood initially had drawn the save from Kasper Schmeichel. It broke to Wood again. He and Johnny Evans were going for the ball. It ended up bouncing off Evans and and going into the net. Evans was trying to get to the line to stop the ball going in. Now, whether he would have got there or not is debatable. But as Chris Wood essentially was running off to celebrate, watching as the ball was trickling towards the goal line, he did, it looked like from the replay, although we had to watch a lot of them to try and see who had made the contact and where it had come, he did make a little bit of contact with Johnny Evans, who then went down. But the question then is, is that a clear and obvious error? Yes. If the goal's been given then to overturn it and as Robin said earlier if that contact is enough to disallow the goal then you look at the foul on Divacarigi, or certainly the contact on Divakarigi before yeah. Manchester United scored and of course that foul by Vertonghen on Delafeu in the Spurs-Watford game yeah. so I, I think the inconsistency is something mm. that frustrates fans and also as a commentator I mean that is a commentator's nightmare because you're not sure why VAR are looking at it you know they're looking at yes. it you know that they're looking at it from a long period of time. So the match director as well who's choosing the pictures for the game has to try and work it out as well. So you can hear what they're saying in your ears and you're all trying to work it out together. So they show you replays of the ball played over and you're thinking, right, well that's not offside and obviously you're having to commentate on it as well. And then it comes to the moment and you're thinking well is there contact there does he push him is there a handball who's it gone in off does he clip his foot and you're looking for about five or six things at once and it was only after I think probably the third or fourth replay that we all kind of worked out exactly right okay there that's where Evans is claiming that the contact is so it is incredibly complicated and therefore incredibly complicated for the VAR as well you have to say and I think sometimes there is a bit of pressure to make the decision really quickly the Premier League are very keen obviously to keep the product as it is and keep the pace of it going but if we're struggling to see, OK, exactly what's going on what's here. What's going on. And How hard must it be that, for the officials? And actually, mm.
1: surely, if the purpose of VAR is to sort out decisions or instances that the referee has missed but appear to be clear and obvious to those people sat in Stockley Park watching all the action, then, you know, 15, 30
3: more seconds surely then stops us debating so much. Well, and that's an interesting point you raise, Wiki. They're obsessed with time. They have these... Screens by the side of the pitch. And they've said we don't want to use them. So yeah. why are they there in the Spurs game? Fair enough, he may have not seen the angle right, but we saw it immediately on the next replay. Vertonghen had clearly tripped him. I think if he'd just got over to the screen and, and had looked, and, and actually he would have changed his mind. Sean Dyche said the same thing after the Burnley game. Yeah, um, I'm sure it was
1: thought by Klopp as well. The instance I, I was going to give was the Origi. And, and all of our games link up because of that. Because you know, surely Rashford's goal should have been uh, ruled out for the challenge or the foul on Origi. Uh, and and I saw clear contact there around his knee area. So it's like, well... It's the inconsistency behind the decisions. The order from Mike Riley, okay, who's the big boss at the professional game match officials uh, Limited's big base of referees, and the instruction from him is to use monitors sparingly after claiming that it will take about 90 seconds for each review. But there's a difference between sparingly and not having used
2: them at all. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've seen them in use at all this season, have we? No, we haven't. And I think it's interesting. I think one of the reservations that they have about using the pitch side monitor is that, by the time the VAR says, you might want to go and have a look at this, the referee is already predisposed to think that they've made a mistake. Because if the VAR mm. doesn't think they've made a mistake, they won't tell them to have a look at it. And we did see this a lot, didn't we, Robin, at the Women's World Cup? Yeah. That when the referees came over and they did a lot for subjective decisions, the vast majority of times they changed their decision. And I think there's a feeling that the pressure that a referee is under, your standing pitch side, you've got however many tens of thousands of fans shouting at you, Honestly, in that situation, I think my mind would go blank. I think I would... I mean, I'm not a referee, but I think I would watch the clip again and again. You're mounting pressure. You've got to do it quickly. You've got to do this. And I think there's a sense that if you are removed from the situation, you're in the VAR room at Stockley Park, you can look at it perhaps more objectively. Now, I think there's one issue with that is then the consistency. Referees will look at a decision differently perhaps and is there an argument to say subjective decisions you want the same referee to look at all of them Mm. i.e. you want the match official on the pitch to look at it in case he would make a different decision to the one in the VAR room I do get the logic behind it for me I think the biggest problem is that the clear and obvious error bar is too high and I think Again, it was perhaps a response to the Women's World Cup where I think it was too low. Yeah, Referees were coming over and thinking, on balance, is that a penalty? Yeah. That's irrelevant. It's not on balance. Is it a clear and obvious yeah. error? So I think it was too low at the Women's World Cup. I think they've gone the other way in the Premier League. And actually, I wonder, even if the referee had come over and looked at it, because that bar is so high, mm. would they still go, well, if there's an iota of argument the other way? And Oli like Gunnar Solskjaer, for example, say, on Divock Origi saying, "Wow, that's never a foul. Yeah. Jürgen Klopp so obviously saying, it basically saying, turns yes, into a courtroom, doesn't it? Innocent until proven guilty so it's not well
1: i'm you know 70% sure it's a foul or yeah. it's an offside or whatever it is it's there's you have not to be 100% probabilities. yeah and so there's a whole thing behind this that actually they don't want subjective decisions to be looked at by by VAR just the clear and obvious ones yet it seems that subjective decisions are being looked at by VAR so already we're sort of starting to run away from the original intention of it For our listeners, let's just recap where VAR comes into play. Let's just refresh ourselves and then come up with some ideas for the PGMOL, who are the body of people, referees led by Mike Riley, who's the managing director. We'll give them some suggestions. So let's just recap. So offsides that lead to goals. This is a very rudimentary summary, by the way. Penalties as well, and penalty taking, straight red cards, mistaken identity. And what we don't see, which we did see during the Women's World Cup, was that goalkeeper moving off the line situation and then also obstruction leading to a gold as well. So we haven't had that so much in the mix. But where are you at both of you with your
3: suggestions? <laughs> be they mad or be they sane. <laughs> well I was just saying I'm getting well into strictly this year. The, for the first time. <laughs> God, where's this going? Showing my age. I'm well into it in the winter months now. <laughs> I'm thinking paddles. Penalty, not penalty. Yes. And I don't want experts. <laughs> I want the actual Strictly judges currently as they are. So do you like a panel of judges? Craig Revel Horwood. No, not any judges. Those judges. <laughs> yeah. judges. I just think have someone who doesn't know much about football. And when they say seven, have dive penalty or whatever, whatever the incident is. I'm on board with that. Okay, so that's your suggestion, or Robin, or one of them. Vicky Sparks? Yeah,
2: I, I reckon uh, Robin's onto something here. I might go down the TV route as well. Maybe a, who wants to be a millionaire style. So for <laughs> some for penalties, you could do Ask the Audience and everyone's got a little buzzer and, yes, and votes. Your like like way fans too. are weighted to try and... Yes avoid the discrepancy between the number of fans in the ground. You could uh, have the host get Jeremy Clarkson involved. Just ask Jeremy Clarkson what he thinks is uh, one of the answers. <laughs> As he's a- surely got an opinion on everything. 50-50, mm-hmm. flip
1: a coin. Is it penalty, is it yes. not? Yes, oh, just flip a coin. How about the situation where a bit like who wants to be a millionaire um, teams have a series of options, a bit like tennis I suppose, more, um, more so and also cricket, that they have a certain number of challenges, a certain number of contested decisions that can be looked at and if it's honoured then they get that reinstated and if it's not on it, then they are a little chit is taken off the list.
3: I don't like this number of challenges thing that some people because I just feel like if say you do, you make a mistake and you moist one and then there's a clear one that the referee gets wrong I just think that to be so annoying just so irritating. I'm just not a fan of that but I can see why, because it's getting to that point, isn't it?
1: Well, are we better with or without it? I mean, do we just write write this manifesto for them, telling them to dump it all together? I don't think you
2: can, now. I think, I think <laughs> sort of, you know, w- 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 whether, <laughs> whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I think initially, I, I think I'm normally quite resistant to technology. Just in general, my phone's full of apps. I can't get any more on it. It's got very small memory. <laughs> so did, I think that's just a wider point other than football. But when goal line technology came in, Eventually, I got on board with that because it's a yes or a no in terms of the technology we've got. And it is, like you say, it's it's very definite. The technology is pretty much there or thereabouts in terms of exact accuracy. And it's in or out. And I think my concern with VAR was always the fact that with subjective decisions, then you are essentially just looking at somebody else's opinion. And yes, for some of them, it is going to give you a better view and a a better angle. But as we see, as Sean Dyche said to me after the Burnley-Leicester game, on whether it was even a foul by Wood or not, regardless of whether it was a clear and obvious error. And he said, I feel sorry for the referee because I don't think anybody knows what contact means anymore in the game. We don't know when when is contact a foul and when is it not. So I think what VAR's done is it's focused on the laws of the game, which actually are sometimes quite waffly. Do the people sitting in the VAR
1: hub, which is a stupid name, by the way, at Stockley Park, do they need more power? I think they've
2: got a lot of power I think that's why we're seeing the referees But they don't have the power
1: to overturn the referee
2: They don't but they have the power to very strongly advise and I think that is why we're not seeing referees use the pitch side monitor because I think the approach that they're taking is the VAR official is essentially as much a part of the team as the linesman and for example if the linesman saw an incident very clearly and you didn't as the referee you would come over and you would essentially take the linesman or woman's advice so you're still making the ultimate
3: decision as the match referee but I think they are taking a lot of guidance from the VAR But that's also been mentioned as a bit of a negative because in the game you mentioned, Kate, Liverpool, Manchester United, they gave it to Martin Atkinson, who is obviously one of the most experienced referees in the Premier League. The VAR on that day was David Coote, who's not. And I think people were saying that maybe he really didn't want to undermine Martin Atkinson because of his seniority. Wow.
1: And so we've got power play thrown yeah. into this as well. It's just so blooming confusing, isn't it? And, and, and also, I think, you know, having listened to Mark Holsey, who um, was on TalkSport this week, he said, look, the referees want to look at the pitch side screens. But from, a, from above, we've already heard that that's not being recommended. All right. Well, I'm not sure this has worked or, or even helped much, but that's our <laughs> Really tale. not the
3: Strictly judges? No? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, just before we move on, I must tell you about our WSL show that comes out every Monday this week. It's a literary fest. Uh, with author of uh, The Roar of the Lionesses Carrie Dunn and creator of the Women's Football Yearbook and BBC journalist Chris Slegg. Joining Lindsay Hooper in the studio to discuss everything from selling out Wembley to whether there's any point in the Continental Cup. That's a bit harsh. Um, it was a jam-packed show with uh, FA Women's Professional Game Director Kelly Simmons, Scottish football aficionado Chris Marshall and Tottenham midfielder Rachel Furnace. so We've got the big names, we cover the important topics uh, like who's the Philip Schofield of football? Uh, you've got to listen to find out by the way and even discuss the tactics on the pitch too that's the offside rule wsl edition out every week on its own feed do subscribe with the best insight into the women's game even if we do say so ourselves this is the offside rule with me kate borsay robin cowan and vicky sparks here in the studio at uh, some serious investigative business now ladies uh, this is an official plea to help us find this man
0: On the big stage, Mesut Özil for Arsenal. he is winning in the centre. He's on a hat-trick. He's got the hat-trick. Ozil. What a hit from Mesut Özil! That flew into the back of the net. And now Özil, can he score? He can! Well, he's taken what was a pretty dull game and turned it into something memorable and a little bit special. Mesut Özil.
3: So please,
1: please, 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 can one of you tell me what's happened to Miss. Ursel? He started just one Premier League game this season and wasn't even included in the squad for Monday night's defeat at Sheffield United. Here are some stats, by the way. Uh, Ozil made his debut for the Gunners in September 2013. No players created more chances than him. No one even comes close. Ozil's on 522 chances. Next on the list is Aaron Ramsey with a measly 272. So, in terms of Gunners stats, he comes right up there. He's the club's top assist maker in three of their last six seasons. So what's happened is he's missed 101 games for the Gunners over his six-year career and only had one major injury in that time. Can either of you solve the puzzle?
3: I think it's going to be like that gif from Goodwill Hunting, you know, when they're doing that equation. It's so hard. It's just just a number of things, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think Mesut Ozil, he's been accused of his sort of languid style makes him look lazy, but I don't think the stats back that up. He actually does run around quite a lot. I think he's a brilliant player. But maybe it's just that he doesn't quite fit in, especially under Unai Emery. He clearly doesn't think he's working hard enough or doesn't quite tactically fit with him. I mean, he's asked about it every press conference, isn't he, you mm. know, Marie? must be absolutely sick it. Of must it. be
1: annoying. And, and, and also for Ozil too, to uh, mm. be able to, well, every player wants to play and justify their position as well. And when you get older, I think even more so, you don't really want to finish your career like this. So of course he's been uh, linked with moves away. Uh, well, his sorry situation has got us thinking about other players who are currently in their club squad, but compared to where they used to be, most definitely right now out of favour. Vicky, what have you got for us?
2: Well, this isn't quite fair because he is getting a look in and he's a very young player, but I've gone for uh, another Arsenal player, Eddie Nketiah at Leeds. Now, he's often used as a sub But he's yet to make his full league debut. And I think Marcelo Bielsa's got a big decision to make because Patrick Bamford is starting ahead of Nketiah at the moment. But he's gone eight games without a goal now. And Nketiah has now scored more than Bamford this season. He got his fifth goal in the match that I was at earlier this week. The late equaliser coming off the bench against Preston. And it was quite interesting because the Leeds contingent took a huge away following to Deepdale, was singing... Eddie and Ketia's name after Patrick Bamford had missed the latest in what had been a row of very decent chances. Mm. But then they started singing Patrick Bamford's name as well. And you really get the sense from the Leeds fans that they are so desperate to have patience with Patrick Bamford. But for a lot of them, it is just running out. And of course, Arsenal want to see Nketiah starting. They want to see him getting game time. Bielsa's talked about the possibility of playing them together but feels that they need to work on it more in training. They haven't had much time to do that. So he's got a huge future ahead of him, Mm. Eddie and Ketia. But I think Leeds have a big decision to make as to when he may come into the starting lineup. And does he deserve
3: that now, now that he has scored more goals than Bamford this season? It's going to be really interesting to see if he starts at the weekend, isn't yeah. it? Because, after as you say, that as well. re- after that, rescuing yeah. a point against yeah. Preston. Just a side note, Marcelo Bielsa. You know, they had that big 100 years celebration, black yes. tie. He was in a tracksuit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Does things his own way. He's glorious, honestly. What I just a rogue. Love that. What a rogue. Robin Cowan. Um, I've got a couple of players who they're not sort of, they haven't been in favour Then out of it two summer signings so I want Are to you're see more of. basically changing the rules. Uh, yeah, basically. Night. I'm okay, doing fine. a Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my key from her. <laughs> basically, it's two players I want to see more of. So yeah. I've got a Bit Watford on the brain because so I'm doing them at the weekend. So Assar, he was there. he's a record signing and he's only had one Premier League star, lots of sub appearances. And now Danny Welbeck looks like he's injured. I'd like to see more of him and see what he can offer. He's only young. He's 21 years old. He got to the Africa Cup of Nations final in the summer. So he's clearly got something about him. So I'd just really like to see more of him. Mm. And obviously they're struggling, especially for mm. goals, Watford, so it'll be nice to see him a bit more. And the other one is Victor Camarassa. Uh, he plays for Crystal Palace, which I forgot <laughs> <laughs> because I was just I was just speaking to someone at a football game on Sunday. They went, Oh yeah, I see, yeah Victor Camarassa's on the bench for Palace. And I went, hey, but when did that happen? He played for Cardiff last season. He was brilliant. I know they went down, but he was probably there best creative spark. He's had one sub-appearance in the Premier League this season. Why is that, though? Why is that? Well, I think actually Palace are doing quite well. They're not doing too badly. Yeah. And I think Roy Hodgson, a bit like Bielsa, doesn't really like to change things too much, does he? But... (laughs) It's interesting. I thought, oh, yeah, I remember him reading, oh, that's a good signing for Palace, and he's barely played. So, yeah, i just like to see a bit more of him. We want him back. Uh, I went for
1: Olivier Giroud, um, who, even if he wasn't massively in favour in Chelsea, he would like to think he was in mm. favour. He's the only player so far that Lund has taken a picture of, and he's asked if he can check his hair. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I love that self-belief <laughs> and that slight arrogance. Remember one time he was all out. He had a PR strategy to be bigger than Beckham. That was Olivier Giroud's PR
3: strategy about four years That's ago. quite worked, does it? Uh,
1: but I'm not going to knock him too much because he was invaluable last season to Chelsea in the Europa League. In fact, his 11 goals in Europe last season set a new record for the most goals by a French player in a single European season. We know uh, he was best for Chelsea as well. this season he's played just 191 minutes under Frank Lampard scoring once in the UEFA Super Cup against Liverpool so Tammy Abraham really is the reason why he's the preferred option but you can't knock not only his record in Europe but also his record for France as well he's a strong part of that French team he was really good at the 2018 World Cup as well so what's going on with Olivier Giroud will he have to move elsewhere there are rumours about Palace but not getting a look in under Frank Lampard Frank said about it by the way he shouldn't be happy and accept not playing. That's what good players do. Um, Yeah, interesting. I think he's probably his time, although can Chelsea afford to lose
3: him? Well, Bashoi scored the winner, didn't he? Yeah. Against Mm. Ajax yesterday, so Giroud was left on the bench so yeah I mean even if he's getting ahead of him probably is time for Giroud to move on maybe I think Chelsea would want to keep hold of him just for the experience and the fact
2: that he gives something different but I, th- I think Pachua is a good child as well I mean I know he hasn't always pulled up that many trees but he often just comes up with the goods at late times for Chelsea particularly big games. In cup competitions in Europe so Yeah, Tammy Abraham, though, I mean, what a season. There's always that question when a player comes up from the Championship and can they do it? And I've been so, so impressed with him at Chelsea this season. Yeah, I
1: bet. I worked for Chelsea TV for a period of time, so it was great to see players like. Patrick Bamford who we mentioned earlier and Tammy Abraham and several others Mason Mount as well look at their development through the youth team and and you always wonder don't you at Chelsea whether that's going to translate and I think because of the situation regarding transfers there because Frank Lampard's a big believer in youth partly because he's had to be uh, but you know he is that that's meant some fantastic opportunities for players who I'm really glad that we're seeing doesn't help Olivier Giroud though does it?
0: This is the Offside Rule from Muddy News Media
1: All right, our final topic. Uh, We've already touched on uh, Manchester City's comprehensive 5-1 victory over Atalanta on Tuesday night. But here's the real City story this week. And it's not good, i tell you. Uh, It's been revealed that before the game, the club had put out an official plea offering to pay influencers to create a great atmosphere at the Etihad. That's the kind of sentence, by the way, I'd have to explain to my mother afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) So so they, they, they basically want... Big hitters on social media who are called influencers to create, help create and big up the atmosphere at the Etihad, which is a bit bizarre. The advertisement was listed on Tribe, uh, which is an app that social media Influencers that can use to get work from brands. I'm sure we'll all be signing up, ladies. <laughs> uh, it's said that the Champions League this year has given us three relatively unknown teams. Uh, hello. Uh, meaning our core fans are less likely to attend. Boo-hoo. Uh, we identified students, young professionals and those new to Manchester who are our ideal audiences. Uh, however, we can't ignore core fans either as they still account for the most ticket sales. That's
3: good of them. Oh.
1: Uh, we want to get across the atmosphere of the Etihad through the use of influence. Influencers who can tell an authentic and genuine story of what it's like to be at a game. What a crock of old... <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> some great reaction to this. Uh, your thoughts on using influencers and, and some of the terminology that, that they only asked for men, by the way.
3: Male influencers was on the uh, ad request. Yeah, not great. Not great. No. I mean, that... The whole thing just made me want to chew my own fist off in embarrassment. It's so cringe, isn't it? I suppose this is the modern era, isn't it? But and really? Yeah, and, and, and then also dismissing Atalanta, Dinamo, Zagreb and Shakhtar. Unknown. Unknown
1: was <laughs> <teams. laughs> charming, isn't it? I mean... So shall I was, I,
2: was, shall I play devil's advocate? Go on. Go on. Because I, I think fundamentally, yes, I, I think. I mean, City of Distance themselves from it, it's, it's understood they, they, are, they yeah. didn't commission the company who posted it but, but regardless, it, yes it's, it's not a, been a successful PR move however it came about but I guess the, the one argument that perhaps you could make is that we know that Champions League group stage attendances, not just at Manchester City but, but at other clubs as well, can be a problem as fans wait until the knockout stages so could this be seen as an attempt to rectify it is it ultimately just advertising And if it was handled perhaps in a better way, would it have been seen as acceptable or is it just that if you feel that you have to generate support in this way, that's very Mm. calculated and methodical, which Mm. loads of advertising is, but it undercuts this idea of fans just being naturally passionate
0: about their
1: club.
2: I, I still don't think I'm convinced, and
1: it's very nice of <laughs> I you. did a good job, though, didn't uh, I? Yes, exactly. Good too So too. Tell, <laughs> tell the other uh, side of it. Uh, well, we've had lots of questions about that, but I'd like to move this on a bit and ask about, actually, you know, decent revolutionary or wacko ways in which clubs have tried to enhance fan experience, for better or for worse. Uh, Robin, what have you got?
3: Well, it's simple as. It's not revolutionary. Leicester do it really well free stuff yeah <laughs> full stop <laughs> everyone loves the freebie right yeah. what's been your best ever football freebie by the way
2: I'd have to say just the general food at certain clubs. Yes. Oh, Chelsea my are goodness. great for that, aren't they? Yes. And I'll tell you what, actually, shout out to Leicester because they are the only ones that I've been to for a long time that keep it there after the match because it's a nightmare oh as a commentator. Yes. You can't get down at half-time. No. And you know that there are lovely no. pies down there and there's biscuits and cakes and all this stuff. And you get down afterwards and it's all cleared away and you think, oh, I'm hungry now. And by that point, you're starving. You've got to you hang do. around and exactly. maybe dial in a couple of reports. And Leicester, just leave it out. Got some nice cheese. I was genuinely travelling down to the match last weekend and thinking, oh, I can't wait for the cheese afterwards. (laughs) It's the best bit it's the best
0: bit
1: <laughs> any enticing freebies I'm trying to think about my best football freebie I think I think it's always nice when clubs put on performances even if they're a bit misguided a bit of bit of half term bit of half term it is half term at the moment but a bit <laughs> of half time entertainment we were talking about the clackers earlier weren't we annoying or good
3: well, I think um, yeah they get a bad rep don't they but I think it's alright especially Leicester because I mean when they're coming out you know it drums up a bit of atmosphere I know it's yeah as I say they get bit of bad rap, although actually I've just had a flashback to when I did (laughs) Aston Villa against Birmingham and that was a bad move to give the uh, home fans, Birmingham, they gave them clappers and they just used them as missiles. Oh my Maybe goodness. not at a ferocious derby. Yes, Maybe sir. not a good Maybe idea. Maybe not a beach ball either.
1: Uh, we've learnt our lessons <laughs> with fans about that one. Uh, here's a couple of ideas. The San Jose Earthquakes, um, they're a US soccer club, opened their stadium for fans, especially younger fans, to join their mascot to get creative and build replicas of the stadium with Lego, bringing families together at the venue here's one that I just can't understand and it's from Manchester City again. This is hashtag HackManCity. City. In order to delve deeper into their data and embrace ideas from fans and those with relevant skills in the local community uh, I think this PR firm might have been hired for this one again Vicky. Uh, the <laughs> club welcomed experienced developers as well as amateurs along to their stadium to work with their data teams
3: to uncover new insights and ideas. I don't understand any of that. What does it mean? It's like you said Vicky isn't it? It's just the language it's so sort of scientific talking about data. It's like this isn't engaging fans at all, is it? It's really odd. Um, Maybe we should take a note from the NFL. Fan
1: first pricing. I like this one actually. So Atlanta Falcons um, dropped many food and beverage prices by 50% for fans at the stadium. When reviewing the first year of this initiative, the club found they ranked in the top three clubs for game day experience and despite those prices dropping, their sales increased um, and by encouraging fans into the stadium
3: sooner, the merchandise sales soared. 90% 90% higher than the previous year. There is your answer. That's very good. I also like going back to the San Jose earthquakes, The, the sort of open training sessions where you can actually get close to the players, mm. they sign some autographs. Yeah. Like we see well, like we see in the women's in game women's after game, yeah. after matches. I just think that anything to sort of feel closer, especially to Premier League players, you feel so yeah, isolated, far away from them. They feel like sort of demigods sort of yes. over there. We need to break down the invisible demigod barrier, don't we? So
1: free donuts. <laughs> and, and, and we actually talked off air, didn't we, about how brilliant Leicester are about
3: giving away free stuff. Sheffield United, Chip Butty. The <laughs> Chip Butty song. Yeah, this <laughs> only just came to my attention. It's just a, a fan song which they sing before every single home. game, before kickoff. It's great. It's a bit like You'll Never Walk Alone yes. song. Maybe not quite as emotional. Yes. Um, well arguably and then a bit like the napoli fans who sing the champions league
1: anthem don't they and they and and, and they sing it full blast at the end which you know actually brings brings goosebumps my suggestion would be a good old sing-along with words please for those fans who you know might be new or or kind of might not quite get what people are saying and you know perhaps a manchester accent or a liverpool accent uh this is such a middle class thing for me to say like as i'm saying it i feel like it's an awful (laughs) idea uh but i love a good old sing song it is mood enhancing It's a great lifter, and actually it breaks down barriers of aggression, any kind of seething little rivalry issues that might be bubbling under the surface.
2: Depends what you're singing. Actually, that's very true. (laughs) Mm. Mm. But yeah, no, I agree. I I think sing songs are great. I think song sheets, there was that rumour wasn't there that Manchester United were considering it a couple of seasons ago. I think someone brought it up at a fans forum and it was very quickly squashed and said, no, we're not doing song sheets. It's got to be fan led, hasn't it? I I think you want that atmosphere. You want that passion. I remember when I started going to football matches with my dad as a little girl, it was the singing genuinely. It was the atmosphere at games that made me fall in love with that whole match day experience. But I think the more organic that can be, the better, so it's hard to know how to encourage it, isn't it?
3: Without making it feel prescribed, like Mansisu trying to do. I'd also say do it a, social media. a word of warning on people who run the club social media teams who try and taunt their opposition before <laughs> kickoff. It happens so often. It happened to Stevenage this week. They posted a GIF or a little clip of David Brent because they were playing Swindon it was David Brent saying oh you Swindon lot of little worms the office based in Swindon of course the the, the epic TV show and then they ended up losing last minute winner Steve sad face
1: alright it's time for any other business we'll wrap up with a few light footballing stories now the stuff of dreams. That's what that's what we've got first. A goalkeeper scoring with the last kick of the game to grab the equaliser. That's what Billericay town goalkeeper Alan Julian did. Uh, headed home the injury time equaliser against Sutton United to ensure that uh, Billericay's name is in the hat for the FA Cup first round. So well done to him who uh, was piled on in a big way by the rest of the team at the end of the game uh, and the bench and the staff and everyone else. So uh, awesome. Uh, another bit of FA Cup magic for you non-league Chichester. City, the lowest ranked club in the FA Cup, received a bye into the second round following Berry's
2: removal from the competition. I thought um, what was so nice on that one was that they said subsequently they're going to donate some of the money. Yeah, so that they, they got £36,000. Yeah, so they're going to donate some of that. Eventually, when Berry rises again or whatever happens with it, mm. the, the new running of the club, essentially, they said they'll donate some of the money to that. And I thought that was so spot on. That is really and actually
1: at a time when clubs are hugely struggling down mm. in the
2: lower leagues. Well, that money will make a huge yeah. difference.
1: To yeah. Them. yeah, absolutely. But how so nice to give to them a name. Anything else from you, ladies?
3: Well, first of all, let's like pick up on something that was on this week's WSL edition of the Offside Rule podcast about the Women's Champions League. Are you I want to tell us off. No, no? I, no, I agree. I wanted to watch the Arsenal and Manchester City games. yeah First of all, Manchester City was too complicated for my my little brain (laughs) because I think it was an app and then you had to sign up and do this and it was just, uh, forget it. And then Arsenal, there was nowhere, not even a dodgy stream I could find. And I just think that's terrible because... It's the Champions League. I yeah. want to watch it. Mm-hmm. We have had this discussion. I've had
1: this discussion with various clubs. Chelsea are better. You can watch it. But I think only if you subscribe to Chelsea TV. Um, and obviously probably the Manchester City situation was um, mm. a bit like that too. But I think there are increased calls for it. And I think someone just needs to get to the bottom of it right and offer it up.
3: Definitely. Let's see. The other thing was, the, did you hear about these Liverpool fans that went to Ghent instead of Genk oh, yesterday? <laughs> no, another. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry for them, but I love it when that happens. It's brilliant. <laughs> (laughs) So they went to Ghent instead of Genk. We've all done it, haven't we? (laughs) But I think the club, Ghent, they're playing in the Europa League tonight, so they've offered them tickets to that club. Oh, I
1: really (laughs) hope so. I really hope so. Um, How about this? Okay, so Freddie Lundberg has received his first booking for Arsenal in just over four and a half thousand days. How's that happened? Well, the club picked up another booking for diving against Sheffield United on Monday. It's their seventh actually since the start of last season. Uh, Youngster Bakayos Saka caution for cheating in the second half. This meant that Saka's former youth coach, who is Freddie Lundberg, basically kicked off about it. Uh, He was also watching in the dugout uh, for Arsenal and earned himself a card. Um, (laughs) His last one was in 2007 in a 0 0 draw at Newcastle, his third from last Arsenal appearance before he left to join West Ham. So there we go. A booking after 4,500 days for Freddie Lundberg and Arsenal. I love that story. Impressive. Uh, Vicky, anything
2: from you? Yeah, big congrats to Alex Morgan, won the Women's World Cup with the USA in the summer is having a baby Oh, so awesome. very exciting congratulations to her and her husband and have to say really enjoyed this up in uh, Newcastle this week Sean and Matty Longstaff the local brothers Matty making his Premier League debut scoring the winner against Manchester United playing alongside big brother Sean I had the chance to interview them earlier this season they're absolutely cracking lads they've been having a bit of a go at commentary Robin I think we might have competition they? Yeah, told them filming. to stop
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sean was filming it and Matty was doing a bit of commentary on the uh, the training session focusing in on Paul Dummett Do we have to worry? uh, I think we might have to keep a little eye over our shoulders so uh, (laughs) so, yeah but very, very funny to see them having a go they are cracking lads and nice to see them doing so well at Newcastle well, oh, And a final one from me. It's been announced this week that Liverpool will host Everton at
1: Anfield for the first time in the Women's Super League yes. on the 17th of November. That's that women's football weekend, isn't it? Uh, scheduled for the next men's international break. It'll be the first time that Liverpool have played the game at the stadium since an FA Cup semi-final defeat by Arsenal in 2013. I don't think I even remember that game. Nope. Um, so there we go. Good times. I think the offside will maybe at an alternative fixture on that day, of which I am pretty gutted about. Uh, well, that's it. The end of our show for another week. Remember to keep up with us across the week via our social accounts. It's at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. And you can hear us on Jack Radio Fridays from seven o'clock. Don't forget. And if you want to read some of the things our team have been putting together on the men's and women's games, uh, a comprehensive look at all sorts of things there. Uh, we've uh, also been shining a spotlight on a couple of striking heroes up in Scotland, OffsideRulePodcast.com. And we'd love you to subscribe to the podcast too via all the usual methods. Do you want to hear a couple of our reviews, ladies? Yes, please. Uh, Okay, Uh, here we go. Um, Sion Renblood says, it's great to hear a podcast without experts on it. Uh, (laughs) It's pure entertainment fabulous, but I'm taking it as a compliment. Like we don't, you know, (laughs) Don't we we don't sound on. like we know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, think, I think more we don't waffle on like, you know, a load of old men, perhaps. Um, and uh, El Geezy said, I've been listening on and off for a while. I have to say, never have I listened to a podcast and got completely immersed in it with the joke stories and anecdotes, usually Kate or Hoops. The ladies tell because no matter who's on the pod, they always have so much fun. And more importantly, are serious on the subjects that need talking about. Oh, yes, we can be, kind of. Thank you very much for those reviews. We'd love yours and we might read it out if you leave us one. Um, How did you find your first appearance, Vicky? Loved it. Great. We've been just... Absolute pro. Yeah, (laughs) she What a debut. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag absolute pro for Vicky. Uh, Robin, hashtag absolute joy for you. Uh, We love love you on this show, so I'm sure you'll both be back at some point. Thank you for joining us. And also to you listeners as well. We'll have more for you next week, but for now, we bid you farewell.
0: The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddynewsmedia.com.
3: Sports Social
2: Podcast Network